Welcome to the Marxist Think Tank podcast, an attempt to look at the world from a class-conscious perspective and to build. Good morning. It's 7.28 a.m. on the 28th of January 2022. Welcome to the MTT News of the Week. Hello. Hello, Jin. So this week we are covering as we always do, news from communist parties and workers' parties, as well as the headlines. So, some big stories from this week. We have an airstrike in the war in, against Yemen uh, has killed prisoners in, uh, in prison. A Saudi airstrike. Uh, the Ukraine situation, we're going to give an update on that, the, particularly by providing a comment from the Workers' Party of Ireland, their thoughts on the situation, as well as some other stories about a National Guardsman and Chernobyl, which relates to the Ukraine situation. An F-35 jet, the taunted, very expensive F-35 jet has crashed in the South China Sea. Uh, The THAAD missile defense system has been deployed in the UAE. Uh, There's another story which is quite interesting about Longshoremen Dock Workers Union has handed a plaque and a jacket to the Chinese embassy uh, Chinese embassy representative in the US, um, which is quite interesting. Fight Club, the film Fight Club, we'll be talking about that and what the ending of that film was changed to in China. Uh, Biden has been reaching out to Intel, the computer company, the technology company, which makes uh, chips and, and whatnot. Uh, Biden has been reaching out to them. In Burkina Faso, there's been a coup. Uh, the military has overthrown the government in Burkina Faso. One of the Supreme Court justices in the U.S. has decided or announced that he will resign. The James Webb Telescope is now in position and will be observing deep into the beginning of the universe. Uh, ISIS in Syria uh, has broken out this week out of a prison and been able to take control of it. And there's been a huge fight uh, against ISIS in the U.S. as well as Kurdish forces. Um, we'll be talking about that, what happened there this week. A Chinese university managed to develop a hypersonic missile. And the last two stories we'll be covering then, of course, is an update on Julian Assange's situation, as well as any other headlines from communist parties around the world. So, yeah, um, first story then, Jen, we want to talk about the Saudi situation or the, let's say, the Arabian Peninsula situation with two different stories there. Yemen, mm-hmm. the, the airstrike on the prisoners as well as Thad being deployed in the UAE. Thoughts on that or comments on that? Well, it's just, uh, well, the title of today's episode, um, Hypocrisy at its Finest uh, in 21st Century Technological Flavor, right? Uh, You know, um, let's talk about the bombing of the prison first, Mm. I think. Because uh, you, um, we were discussing leading up to uh, today's episode, uh, and you, you said it very beautifully, Richard. Bombing a prison, like a prison is uh, where there are people locked up and not able to leave. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What are the odds Yes. that if you bomb it, the people in there cannot leave when the bomb right. drops? Right, right. I mean, that's... Yeah, you cannot just evacuate. 
Yeah. It's not I how think, that works. Right. <laughs> so, so usually with airstrikes, they will be justified in saying, you know, collateral damage was avoided because, um, A, we assessed the area and knew that there was no one there. You know, there was a clear open field or we knew it was sure. a derelict building. We'd been watching it for three months and we hadn't seen anyone come in or out. Or they'll say, we gave warnings. The Israelis will famously say, you know, we gave them a few minutes or a few hours warning. So it's their fault if they were in that building, you know. Right. But in this case, yeah, a prison, you know. <laughs> we didn't know there were people in the prison. Well, we, we gave them a warning. Why didn't they come on? I mean, you know, I'm not being facetious. But yes, you know there's going to be people in prison, lots of them, probably packed because it's a prison in Yemen. I highly doubt that they have a very low, um, you know, a very, like, spacious prison system right now because of the situation in the country so yeah. you definitely know there's going to be a lot of people in that in that place um so yeah i mean yeah, yeah just for context it was in sada in yemen so this is on friday um mm. yeah i mean that war's been going on for seven years now so it's, it's pretty right pretty long war by any any i mean yeah yemen is like one of the most uh warring uh regions of the world right it's famous for it's higher gun ownership per capita compared to even the United States. Right, right. right. So we, we can imagine the kind of uh, chaos that uh, that goes on there. Right. Yeah, sure. Um, but as we said last week, also, you know, the Saudi military, with all of that training and equipment, is not, they do not use it very well. It's not in fact, <sighs> it's um, not a fighting force by any, um, any uh, straight imagination. Just another thing to comment, yeah. of course, in, in response, uh, Houthi supporters. Uh, had a huge rally in in Sana uh, in mm -hmm. Yemen against these uh, airstrikes and against specifically reaction to this one on Friday. Um, yeah. yeah, but let, let's go straight. Obviously, this follows on from the story which we covered uh, last week, the week before the attack on the UAE. So of course, the Houthis managed to fire some missiles, some medium range or sort of short range, I'd say, ballistic missiles. Yeah, yeah. And obviously, this is probably why uh, the you the thought system has been set up in yes um so uh how it uh, why this is significant is because um this is just another episode, uh, example of how these uh reactionary forces literally cannot survive without the united uh, united states the american empire i mean the sad uh thaad stands for terminal high altitude uh, air defense system developed by the United States um, for the purpose of ballistic missile uh, interception, ballistic missile defense. Uh, that was after the hilarious joke that was the uh, Patriot uh, systems. Uh, essentially, what happened, long story short, and all technical jargons away, it goes like this. Uh, once upon a time, they decided to build the Patriot system to uh, shoot down uh, the Scud missiles that the Soviets uh, developed, which was uh, being sent to all uh, uh, sold to all countries. Right? It didn't work because uh, during the uh, during the Iraq War, essentially the invasion of Iraq. Um, they say that they were able to intercept Iraqi ballistic missiles, but really, they didn't intercept it. They didn't intercept any. The reason that the Iraqi missiles, a lot of them failed, and only some of them hit, was because uh, Saddam Hussein had a very poor understanding of physics. He ordered his engineers to basically like strap extra rocket boosters onto the Scud system without any kind of adjustment. 
Mm. And so it shot way too fast and uh, exceeded the um, melting point uh, because the friction uh, between the warhead and the missile in the air exceeded the design speed and just Mm. melted in air as only a few didn't melt. But at the time, Americans propagated it to be, oh, we shot down those Scud missiles. Mm. And then uh, all American allies started buying Scud missiles. And then eventually, uh, even American allies who, per- uh, uh, sorry, Patriot system, even, when Amer- even American allies who purchased the Patriot system started to figure out that, wait a minute, this thing doesn't work. This can't shoot down ballistic missiles. So America, in a panic to reassure its allies, this developed the that system. Well, the that system is uh, is basically. I mean, we've talked about it a little bit before uh, with the mm. DRK situation, um, because uh, there's a that system in South Korea that U.S. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, what it is is uh, it shines it shines a giant beam of radar that mm-hmm. uh, covers uh, you know it just roughly visualizes like one third of the U.S. or one third of China. That's the radar range. It can see anything that's flying above mm-hmm. a certain altitude um, in that airspace. And uh, what is exceptional about it is that um, it can meet any conventional uh, lower tech ballistic missile mm-hmm. uh, in midair. And it is very accurate. It has like these uh, mini rocket boosters that can uh, very accurately let it uh, hit kinetically directly onto the warhead. Mm-hmm. And so um, it uh, does. No, it's not using explosion, and it's uh, you know, literally more environmentally friendly if your enemy is shooting biological or nuclear warheads or whatnot. Oh, sure, that's good to know. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, uh, but this system has been been made obsolete by hypersonics. That's sure. why these uh, missiles are hypers. That's why hypersonics is a big deal because the most advanced thing the United States has that is obsolete. But clearly, in the case of the Houthis, uh, their armed forces uh, is not advanced enough to deploy hypersonics en masse in, in, in real battle. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, we had this case of, um, you know, one goes out, that intercepts, and then that's the end of that story. So it's just, um, you know, the kind of things that, the kind of expensive running costs that you would need to uh, maintain imperialism and hypocrisy. Right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah I, I think if we remember our first story, you know, the, uh, the Saudis are airstriking prisons, and on the other side, they're using Thad to shoot down, you know, the Houthis' ballistic missiles and drones and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, again, we also mentioned last week that they will use javelins to, sh- to kill individual uh, fighters. Right. So, on an yeah, attrition. Let's say hello to our uh, audience. Hi, Frogs. Oh, hello, hello. Yes, hello. <laughs> you guys um yeah so on at least on a um, an attrition level i'd say the houthis are are running an effective war yes because they can use a drone or a ballistic missile and they can hit an oil facility or whatever it is and in order to counter them the you know the the uae or saudi arabia has to use thigh missiles which as you've already mentioned is designed to stop you know very fast or, or you know very expensive much bigger uh, weaponry mm-hmm. so yeah so uh, again the, the, the Houthis are fighting a good war then. And if we do want like a visual, you know, um, proof, I guess, of the fact that the Houthis are against, up against imperialism, um, that they're in a joint fight. Yeah, there's, there's the narrative of, of the Thad being 
deployed against North Korea and by extension China, uh, oh. as well as now against the Houthis. So I see there's a nice little parallel parallel yeah. there. But oh, and also in Eastern Europe against Russia. Sure, well. sure, sure, yeah. sure. And additionally, though, the in the UAE, uh, where the Houthis were attacking these uh, facilities, these UAE, uh, you know, the UAE facilities, oil facilities and whatnot, there's also a huge American and U.S. base. And the troops there were told to go and get into their bunkers and be on standby. So, you know, the, 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 the poetry of, of, of seeing how the Houthis are up against uh, the empire, but particularly the empire's proxies, you know, we can see that. See that. Right. But yeah, let, let's, um, let's go on to, so that's um, the UAE and, and of course, the mm. Saudis. Let's talk about um, the F-35. So talk about military technology. Oh, which we'll gosh. Go to the F-35, as well as just the general China situation that we've seen in the last uh, week. Some stories, stories come out. Let's go straight to the F-35. Because, oh, good uh, yeah. As everyone knows, we're not, we're not going to go too much into the what the F-35 is. People have probably know. Uh, very expensive yeah. jet, you know, vertical that takeoff. That claims to be able to do everything well, uh, but uh, yeah. does nothing well. Right, right. So uh, that in South China Sea, but one of these, uh, one of the best fighter jets in the world, yeah. uh, leading uh, to yeah, leading to many injured on the uh, American aircraft uh, carrier. I believe it was uh, Carl Benson. I'll take uh, a look at the now. Let's see. It's uh, um, is Carl, it? Carl Vincent. Carl yes. Vincent. <laughs> um. It, the F-35 is a meme of a... Uh, yes, it's a, it's a living meme. Uh, you know, besides the stealth coding and the more advanced electronics and the concepts behind you know, uh, modern uh, warfare, it is literally worse in every aspect of conventional aircraft design compared to even aircrafts from the 80s by Europe or Russia. Or United States itself. Because um, basically, they uh, for anybody that's worked in project design, like when the customer like wants to like not pay extra, and yet like cram way too many functions into just one project, and keeps demanding more functionality out of like either right, just, right. like one software or one uh, physical product. That's what the F thirty five is, but like for the entire right. industrial complex. So yeah. um, it has I been think... known for like just being an utter meme. It crashed in Japan. It crashed in Italy uh, by the Italian Air Force. It crashed by the, I believe it was the British Air Force. I could be wrong. This this one, uh, and now it's crashed by the American Air Force. And then you know, but, but like they want to sell this thing because they want to make their money. So like if you look at the investigation reports, oh oh, the plane is perfect. It's always a pilot error. Pilot, pilot bad. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I think I think someone uh, it might have been Carl Ja, one of the guys on Twitter, had a good yeah. comment. Uh, we shared a, a meme, and it's just sort of saying, "How's that? How's that pivot to Asia going, militarily speaking?" And it's like you know, you mentioned the the crashed submarine that that you know, Wolf. They're crashing to something. They still don't know. I mean, something. what? F-35 went down, and you've had other mentions of other ships crashing into each other and other stuff, and, and also, like, actual casualties, you know, you know, crew, yeah, and, and, and uh, American destroyers literally just crashing into just civilian yeah. cargo ships, yeah. because, you know, it, it's, right. uh, it's so meme-worthy, but, um... Right, right. Yeah, so, I mean, let's, let's yeah. <laughs> sure. So, F-35, 
out the way. Let's talk about what that means. I mean, in terms of diplomacy and looking at the China situation, right? So we also had another nice story. Uh, Let's first talk about Intel, though, Biden. So Biden's Build Back Better um, project. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't want to say it's fully dead, but maybe we could say it's fully dead. It's certainly been set back because of Congress and the Senate votes. But, I guess um, let's just yeah. like ask our viewers in the United States, like, have you personally seen like any thing being built in your vicinity, any road getting fixed, like yeah. ever? I haven't. Ah, uh, it's good. Build, build, build back that hasn't been passed. So bear in mind, build back has, it hasn't been passed. It's it's failed to pass, right? So yeah. Um, <sighs> oh yes, we will be. Don't worry, we'll, we'll be talking about Burkina Faso in a moment. Yeah, we'll be covering that one uh, mm-hmm. from our viewer there. So. But first, let's just cover, um, yeah, Biden has reached out to Intel because Build Back Better has ultimately failed or hasn't mm-hmm. passed, as well as legislation for the uh, Voting Rights Act. Um, yeah. Biden has looked to Intel um, to sort of yeah, invest in the U.S. and right. employ the China agenda, as the New York Times calls it. So basically, $20 billion of investment by Intel to build a semiconductor plant in Ohio, not far from, from Eugene, I'm sure. Um, yeah, no. So, yeah, I guess this is just his attempt to try and find something uh, to put his name to. I mean, he got a low approval rating, so a big domestic investment, oh, which would be right. is kind of something that he can hopefully get some positive spin off of. Um, I mean, at this point, you know, as we talked about last episode, it's not just difficult uh, from a cost perspective. This is how even efficient everything is in the United States. Yeah. At this point, it is literally difficult to organize civilizational activities in general. Uh, just today, a few hours before uh, this episode, uh, a friend of mine texted me that uh, he works in Walmart. That uh, all like their entire uh, front desk uh, reception got mm-hmm. COVID. All wow. tested positive in one day. Of course, like he he works uh, in the uh, uh, towards uh, more of the rear, uh, sure. so like he's uh, fine for now. Mm-hmm. But like, think about it, like really for a second, when you have people concentrate, everybody just flip and get COVID. What even is that? So like, really organizing production, like really here in the U.S. in this moment, like are we like serious right now? I, I don't want to sound too comedic, but like. Reality is just turning to sad comedy at this point. Yes. There's yes. nothing I can add to make it funnier. It just is. And, right. To talk about build back better, how you actually um, build anything is, of course, uh, our next story, right? The, uh, Wait, Chinese before, before we go on, before we go on, I just want to say on this, <clears throat> on this um, you know, strategically speaking in an economics perspective, they say it right here. It's actually said by, I think, by Biden or one of the yeah. Intel guys. Is of course the glaring fact that on semiconductor and microchip or chip production in general, the U.S. is is completely lagging behind. Um, they are not. They're not economically competitive. And of course, yeah, it does well, tie to national security. If you don't have the chips to power high computers, right. technology that is a, a strategic uh, limitation. Yeah, See, here's the thing. If the United States was like five years ago saying that, like I would have very much taken it seriously. But 
like in the state it is now, like the United States is not civilizationally competitive. Period. Yeah. Like, well, what no, that's, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> the U.S. barely produces ten percent of the computer chips uh, in production. But bear in mind that chip design and research, the U.S. does still have a big uh, yeah, of course. need. Right. Uh, but production, they don't produce. Ninety percent of it is produced mm. elsewhere. But yeah, yeah, let's go to the next story. You said, yeah, talking about another form of, uh, or the other side of diplomacy, U.S. to China diplomacy. And mm. I, I like the story a lot. One of the main reasons I like the story is that it references the name of the union, which I always love saying. It's um, the, one second, let me get a few. Um, it's the U.S. Dock Workers and Longshoremen uh, Association. So the, these guys, this union, these union workers gave um, a, a representative, here we go, uh, one second, let me get a few. <clears throat> yeah, they gave a representative from the embassy, uh, the embassy, the Chinese embassy, obviously put this up on their website. Um, they gave him this uh, plaque uh, of recognition, as well as a commemorative jacket. And there mm. it is, his little, uh, little sort of, I guess that's a... Um, Bomber jacket. I don't know what to call that, but yeah. <laughs> nice. yeah. Um, and there you go. It says uh, Chinese companies are, are reliable partners of the port of Boston in job creation. And Ambassador Qin Gang accepts the plaque of recognition and commemorative jacket from Mass Port and International Longshoremen's Association. That's the one I love. Longshoremen. Yeah, such a yeah. lovely ancient term. <laughs> It is archaic, right? It's very, yeah. very nineteenth century, long, yes. long, short. But hey, it's got flavor, you know. Yeah, it's good. It's good. You know. But yeah, so they gave him a jacket, and I suppose we always hear. This is the thing you always hear, right? Um, Chinese Belt and Road Initiative. These industrial projects are taking it's a trap diplomacy. It's a new colonialism. Um, but you know, the, the workers themselves at one of these ports. Um, giving them a plaque you know they, they're honoring them they they are they are very happy to have the chinese um you know relationship with with trade specifically these are these are the, these are the dock workers you know yeah. these guys are happy to have yeah because uh, specifically job creation exactly, job creation, exactly. creation but like talk about build yeah. back better i mean yeah yeah first of all build like yes. come on that's Right, but the, 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 that just goes into the the, 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 the whole uh, just descends into meme status. Uh, I mean, I, I'm sorry for like today's uh, episode to just like be like this, but like that's just the way the world is right now. Yeah, uh, yeah. history is officially uh, in its farce stage, and uh, yeah. we're living through yeah. it. I mean, that is uh, quite literally one of the few things that's uh, actually being built in the United States, and that's actually creating jobs right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Uh, the other thing, though, so in terms of the U.S., just a small story. Yeah, Supreme Court justice. Any comments on that, Jen? Jen? I don't really want to talk, unless you really uh, want to speak about it. I'm not no, sure. not really. Does that change anything? We all got state of revolution, or hopefully we'll read that. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> there obviously there's something to say that he's uh, promised that he will assist or pick uh, or help in the picking of a... Um, a black female uh, to replace him. Mm -hmm. um, oh, okay, yeah. and obviously they the have reason. Fun. I mean, they only process like however many cases per year. But and also, there's still going to be a minority. So the liberal right. or Democrat, whatever you want to call them, choices will still be a minority from yeah. the uh, conservative point. 
Yeah, so somebody, uh, but, if, if somebody wants to cheat the law, just like overload the Supreme Court with like more than 300 cases a year, you win. <laughs> There's not, absolutely zero, nothing they can do about it. I right, promise. Right. I mean, the, the other thing to say is that I think with the whole Supreme Court election or selection process, it's, it's kind of a very weird, long game of chess of, of people's lives, right? So oh. they obviously know that this guy is old. So he's like, well, we can't risk that in four years time there's going to be a, a democrat president so let me retire before i die so that we can choose a younger person so that our seat is safe so that you know because some of those selections i mean some of the people were picked by reagan so what <laughs> a legacy uh you know some of those justices have been there for you know early clinton days maybe reagan days uh yeah this is just it, it, literally just feudalism on steroids with their high priests and <laughs> magistrates i guess i mean yeah oh. right well, let, let's let's move on to um our third sort of area of conversation let's talk about ukraine um mm. we were gonna have a guest on today but um time zones and whatnot can be confusing so he will he be, will be with us next week, for this yeah. week so and we also have uh danny haifong from black agenda report who will be joining us uh, at some point um yeah. he has to pick a schedule very busy man uh, right. All the writing stuff that he does, but yeah, very excited yeah. to get him on. Uh, he's a really good journalist. Mm-hmm. Um, let's take a look at Ukraine. So Ukraine, a uh, couple stories, right? We've got the yeah. National Guardsmen that killed five people. Yeah. Uh, do you want to come go into that first? Sure. I mean, this is literally uh, just what starts to happen in any kind of uh, military mobilization uh, effort. When you are so desperate that you do not account for mental health of your recruits anymore, or you do not even care who joins, you just take literally anybody, and then this kind of stuff starts to happen. And then, of course, you top it off yeah. with some, uh, you know, classic kind of uh, 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 in China what we call old military uh, 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 warlord tendencies of you know abuse and mental and physical abuse. Then, like, yeah, that's that's the kind of thing that you'll get. Right. Right, 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 right. Yeah, I mean, we we, we have talked about. Yeah, I think you've you've commented on that in terms of the the, the specifics. So this guy, yeah. National Guard guy, being um, you know, uh, brought into service, uh, you know, conscripted, I guess, yeah. and yeah, not perhaps the the processes of checking, you know, background checks, training, as well as mental health, as you well, say. Um, I want to comment on one thing. Like, I've been seeing footages of of the Ukrainian military of, like, their own propagandas of uh, uh, videos of themselves. Uh, At this point, they're literally just taking anybody. They're taking, like, overweight neo-Nazis with, like, God knows how many health issues and mental health issues as well. Like, they don't care anymore, okay? Like, they are that desperate. And, yeah. Yeah, I mean, this does. This is odd because they've got this thing going on—the mobilization, as well as yeah, they've been people have been training in the woods. You know, women, men, old people, all types of people have been training in the woods. Yeah. But at the same time, the, the the president also came out with a comment saying, "There's nothing to worry about." So life is continuing on Ukraine in Ukraine normally. But I think there's there's two there's two, lots of commentary about this. On one side, you have people saying the invasion is imminent, and then the other people saying, "Oh, it's not that bad." And then yeah, I mean, there's also about, about the fact that it won't be an invasion. Yeah, it's just like... It would be a coup. So there'll be an attempted coup with a, with a pro-Russian uh, pres- uh, candidate. Um, I forgot the name of the guy. Um, who will come out 
yeah. do something in Ukraine. That's how it's going to happen. It's not going to yeah, be yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> who are obsessed with okay. Nintendo games? Um, uh, okay, think of it uh, this way. Uh, people literally uh, are... Uh, like, life is not uh, normal at all over there. It's just... Uh, getting to the point of, like, mobilization, but, like, for what? I mean, I've been looking at some uh, American amateur military scholars looking into the current state of the Ukrainian militaries. Half their freaking organization chart is empty. I'm not even joking. On the uh, brigade level, like, all the, uh, uh, all the infantry is, like, 60% filled. As in, like, like a unit of like two thousand people. There's only like less than twelve hundred people, and then like all the technical equipments of anti-air artillery, uh, uh, electronic uh, warfare uh, reconnaissance is just non-existent, straight up empty. Like, what do you even, what do you even say to that? You know. So, like, I do not blame the Ukrainian people who are like forcefully conscripted into this at all for saying like this is a worthless war and we're not going to win. Like, yeah. If it does happen, you're not going to win. And then, um, you know, then we have the liberals who are basically have been Pavlovianly trained to like cry for war whenever it's a thing that the United States doesn't like aesthetically. Oh, mm. it's uh, the dictatorship is coming, they're invading, we need to go protect democracy. It's like they have been trained by a bell and some dog food. To drool at the sound of the bell of uh, war against Russia, China, Iran, DPRK, uh, Houthis, uh, Palestine. Uh, 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 yeah, go pick one. Yes. But then the yeah. reality on the ground, as we've been covering for all this time, is just this kind of back and forth where uh, probably not much is going to happen. Yeah. You know, yeah. So, yeah. Right. Yeah, I guess that's all we have to say on that. I mean, I'll read. So I think I agree entirely with with what you what you just said there. Mm -hmm. I think what we what we should do is we should read some other commentary on this. Um, so yes, we have a yes, comment yes, from the Workers Party of Ireland. So the Workers Party of Ireland has made a statement on Ukraine. Uh, it's quite long, so I'm not going to read the whole thing. Mm -hmm. um, so it's specifically on, of course, general tension in Eastern Europe, and obviously specifically on Ukraine. I'll cut straight to just some of what they have said here. Um, Let's take a look. Uh, yes. Okay. So let's from here. One second. Okay. So the the present crisis has echoes of the pre nineteen fourteen era. A long period of peace is undermined by constant manifestation manifestations mm. of crisis, each one rendering the possibility of a war a bit more likely. The Anglo American hegemonic powers are wary of rising industrial rivals. Germany then, China now, and tempted to strike before they can attain the full measure of their strength. However, many fundamental differences have emerged since 1914, not least the possibility of a terminal nuclear conflict, which serves to reduce, but not eliminate, the possibility of escalation to a generalized world war. The other major departure is the accomplished industrialization of Russia and China and the concomitant setting of the peasant question through a process of urbanization and proletarianization. Both historic states were extremely vulnerable to revolution in the 1914 period because their state form, remnants of a pre-capitalist mode of production had been brought into contradiction with the realities of industrial capitalism and the social relations it engendered. This is not the case today. 
That vulnerability was less in the more advanced capitalist states of Central and Western Europe, but there certainly was a threat to bourgeois domination due to the sheer scale of the labor movement and its effective merger with socialism. Irrespective of how it played out, this socialist labor movement was perceived as a threat to the social order, and all the great powers had to factor it in when maneuvering against their rivals, lest they be overthrown by socialists in the aftermath of a failed geopolitical conflict, as indeed they were in Germany, Austria, and Russia. This is also not the case today. The socialist labor movement has been supplanted by a nebulous and effectively pro-imperialist left, which is by its nature, i.e. lacks the basic absence of really mass organizations with an abject interest in an alternative economic system, does not constitute an alternative social order in waiting. As such, the Western ruling class do not fear their own overthrow if they receive a bloody nose in Ukraine. On the other hand, there is no appetite amongst any European country to fight a war in Eastern Europe, Ukraine in order to further US hegemony. And it is doubtful that they would, in any case, be able to muster any force capable of fighting Russia. It will be up to the Ukrainians to die for Western capitalism. The reassertion of state power via the capital, even by a non-working class government, would be in itself an improvement in the objective conditions for socialists. The specific step required is for the United States to suffer a major setback such that it can no longer operate as the as the gendarme for the Western bourgeois. While the USA seems to be working towards internal collapse, a significant military setback would serve to accelerate the reduction of their domination abroad and create space for the reassertion of state power more broadly. Last two paragraphs. NATO has made noises about Ukraine's right to join it, should it so decide, but the decision has to be mutual. NATO could simply decline to consider Ukraine's membership and the present situation would be easier considerably. Of course, they know that, that, but they want to maintain a state of tension with Russia in order to keep the European nations subservient, increase the possibility of selling LNG, and ultimately to effect regime change in Moscow. Despite our weakness, socialists must continue to agitate for peace, even when the logic of capitalism is pointing to the creation of large-scale conflict. In Ireland, of course, this entails the banning of the US military from utilizing Shannon and other travel facilities and the ceasing of any intelligence sharing. While the immediate problem stems from Washington and its delusions of eternal eternal hegemony, the deeper causes lie within the internal dynamic of the capitalist system itself. As profitability is squeezed and with a rising economic powerhouse in the Far East, the conditions of geopolitical competition have re-emerged. As long as the impetus for attaining ever-increasing profits remains, international competition will likewise remain. This can only be overcome by a planned economic system that serves humanity as a whole, which itself depends on working class control of states with repile, as opposed to states which exist at the sufferance of financial capital. It is in this narrow assertion of state sovereignty that Russia, despite its fall from the USSR, can yet serve as an agent of social progress. That's from James O'Brien, the International Secretary of the Workers' Party of Ireland. Oh, that okay. is beautifully said. I mean, I basically agree with that. I, I, quite, I quite like that. Yeah. Uh, pretty pretty very, good. Uh, yeah, very quality analysis. Way better than uh, some of the shenanigans we've heard from the past, let's just say. Sure, sure, sure. sure. Yeah. yeah good comments. Uh, if you want to read the whole thing, just go to the Workers' Party of Ireland. You can find that. Uh, mm-hmm. Pretty good stuff there. But yeah, let's leave it at that. Um, yeah. I, I think we, we're probably going to be talking about Ukraine next week. I'm feeling that's not going to be resolved. And we said yeah, that. Because, uh, yeah, because uh, there's going to be some skirmish and then some, uh, yeah, some bomber plane or some tanks or some artillery is going to be, be right, doing right, some right, shenanigans. Right, right. 
yeah, that's right. just how that goes these days. Yeah. So I think let's. Um, I'll, I'll only mention this because it's not that big of a story right now. The ISIS Kurdish situation. So there was a prison, or is a prison in Syria, holding many, many, many um, ISIS former ISIS fighters, and they managed to break out and get help from. Uh, it was using a truck bomb. They managed to take control of the facility. They took a bunch of the kids who were also prisoners, who are ex, uh, either, you know, child soldiers or children of ISIS fighters. And, you know, they're, they're the argument for keeping them there is that they think they're too risky um, to, to let out that they'd still just become ISIS fighters. So they keep them in this prison. But the ISIS fighters then use them as hostages. Anyway, um, huge gun battle between them as well as the Kurdish and U.S. forces. Uh, eventually, they've, they've defeated them. They've been defeated. Airstrikes, uh, as well as special forces, were sent in. It's been, you know, dealt with. But um, in some ways, it's a little bit concerning to see whether ISIS has the potential to come back in that region. But let's let's leave that one. Let's let's discuss. Yeah, that we'll right. see next week. We'll see. Next we'll see next week if anything happens. <laughs> let's go on to um, well, one more thing uh, is that Julian Assange um, has been successful in his bid for the Supreme Court in the UK to hear his um, appeal before mm -hmm. he gets extradited to the US. So we'll see what happens with that. Obviously, that hasn't mm -hmm. happened yet. It's the, the appeal has been accepted, but uh, the legal process formally hasn't begun. So there's not been a result there. But that's what's happening. It seemed that there is the potential for him to not go to the US if the Supreme Court decides in the UK. Um, final story for the day, which I think will be... Uh, um, Oh, sorry. Final two stories for the day. First, Burkina Faso. Yeah. So, yes. Burkina Faso. Um, this week, there was a coup in Burkina Faso. The government was overthrown. Initially, I think on Monday, the, 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 the military or people were saying, oh, it's not a coup. It's just, a, you know, there's some sort of upheaval. And then the, the classic, um, you know, uh, the right. thing that is always quite funny. A soldier appears on TV. And, and at that point, he doesn't have to say anything. When you see a general on the news, you know it's a coup. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. There's no need to say anything else. You know, a general is reading the news. It's a coup. Um, but yeah. yeah, the reason. So why? Um, so apparently, um, if you're not aware, in Burkina Faso, as well as Mali and other countries in northwestern Africa, there is a constant struggle against um, Islamic or fundamentalist insurgencies. And the French have been assisting, let's say, uh, sending troops with that. Uh, I use that term loosely. Um, and apparently the military, the Burkina Faso's forces, do not feel like they are able to win this fight, that the government is mishandling it and they're losing the fight and it, they're just not getting the troops and the support that they need. So they've overthrown their leadership because of that, because of the, the difficulty in fighting the insurgency. Um, a side story, also, I suppose a part of the story that came out is that they then asked, so the soldiers or some people, some protesters, uh, then asked or have been demanding that Russia intervene and uh, assist in uh, Burkina Faso and join them in fighting um, yeah, the Islamists. Uh, mm -hmm. What Any thoughts on this? Oh, uh, uh, this is... Oh, God. Um... If I remember correctly, uh, some episodes ago, I did mention the um, some uh, United States uh, West Point-related podcasts, programs, uh, and their experts talking about uh, basically, like, in our language, I guess, 
in our socialist language would be a paraphrase to like due to the failure of the American empire, there's going to be a massive power vacuum that the U.S. failure has created. And then uh, global terrorism will be such a problem that it would be problem for uh, that it would be like the one of the few aligning interests for all the countries of the earth, uh, China and USA and Russia included. Uh, it's one of the uh, few cases where, uh, like, some American analysts are actually looking at this pretty objectively. Because, uh, like, they are actually going at it from the perspective of, of okay, very chaotic society. People do not have the uh, avenues of um, kind of uh, addressing their social concerns, right? And then, uh, like, life is so terrible that they think, uh, like, literally joining ISIS is a valid option for, like, life, just as, like, becoming a tradesman or, or like, becoming an engineer or, or, or a farmer or something. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, how, how that is a problem and then how um, the phenomenon of what they call the quote-unquote international fighters, mm-hmm. international volunteer fighters, uh, are um, psychologically very different from uh, local people who participate in a civil war or coup or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's a problem that the United States has created. The, mm-hmm. pre- the, the previous story with um, the ISIS prison thing as well, I mean, the, the, the entire Kurd, uh, Kurd situation uh, in Syria is like America's attempt at a one nation, two system, uh, uh, nail, uh, kind of in the wood to split the plank mm-hmm. that is Syria, the people of Syria. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and um, you know, it's uh, tribes with guns backed up with uh, U.S. special forces and airstrikes and CIA. Right. That's mm-hmm. what because like, we we have to understand that like like what I said like we will be talk- we will probably be talking about ISIS next week mm-hmm. is that the, the uh, this is the the messed up part okay the founders of ISIS actually created a not just a code of belief but a methodology of thinking that is basically a cut short version of the dialect uh, the, the Hegelian dialectical philosophy. And then teaching people to like to pursue a way of life. That's why it is so hard to get rid of it, because it's like they they, they took some inspiration from communist philosophy and then just like took it to like the most ridiculous end possible. Mm-hmm. But then like that kind of philosophy, because how it is a cohesive world system, a worldview system, and a way of life that the founders of ISIS has created. Yeah. Uh, it has vitality. Like I'm serious. It, it, the most messed up. Uh, it, it does, it does. Yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> That's it, why it, it, it pops up uh, in various places that seems geographically completely unconnected. Burkina Faso is in all the way in West Africa. Yeah. Whilst yeah. Syria is in the Middle East. That's like a thousand miles away, if not more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. No, and also uh, Mozambique. You have. You have an Islamist um, IS-inspired group in, right. in Mozambique, so nearly at the bottom of Africa, nearly at the tip of Africa, at the bottom, right? Yeah, down that's there. like two thousand, three thousand miles. But anyway. a huge, a huge, um, a huge spread. Yeah, you absolutely yeah. right on that one. Yeah. Um, 
so I, I think just just on the comments of this one is just obviously the area itself, the region, I should say. Um, we've seen a coup in the last year. There's been a coup in Chad, Guinea, Mali, and Sudan. So it's not just Burkini's um, politics right. here. We're seeing the regional thing. Discontent with an establishment for whatever reason. Obviously, the economics would obviously play a role there too. People have plenty of jobs. And, and, and of course, with COVID, um, the, all of these factors are probably, probably playing a role. Um, mm -hmm. Specifically, though, on Burkina Faso, as any, I suppose, communist or socialist or uh, progressive, let's use that, uh, will know, obviously, Thomas Sankara is right. the famous leader of Burkina Faso, the famous young African leader. Um, and he was assassinated in 1987. And the trial of the people that overthrew him in 1987 or killed him in 1987 yeah. um, started in October. And that's also gripped the country. Right. Uh, so that, that's going on. And the French were involved in that one too. Um, yeah, they played some role. And France generally plays an imperialist role or a neo-imperialist role in the oh, area. Yeah. Controlling, the, controlling, controlling the uh, monetary system as well as having troops everywhere. Uh, but of course, our friend... You know, Trevor Noah failed to ask the French, the French diplomat that he had on a few weeks ago about that. Make a prediction, he asked right? about what Chinese neocolonialism instead. That was his his talk. Yeah, 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 I'm gonna make a prediction right there. Yeah, yeah. Quick one before we go into yeah, our last yeah, story. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Britain, France, and Germany are going to be keeping up neo uh, uh, neocolonialism in Eastern Europe, Africa, and all the uh, oceanic uh, uh, island uh, colonies uh, of mm -hmm. the world until the end of time. Sure, no, of course. And, and like humanity will have to confront that in the form of a world war in like 40 years from now. That's my prediction. Right. Unless, unless of course, they, they collapse themselves. I don't know. Yeah, 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 yeah. But let's go to our last story. Uh, we have to finish a little bit sooner than uh, expected today. I have, uh, we have some things to do, some personal mm. projects. But uh, it's a bit more lighthearted. Fight Club, Fight Club. the yes. uh, end of the film. So this was on Tencent, the uh, huge platform, the gaming platform video platform, everything in China, yeah. uh, they have a version of Fight Club on there, which has a different ending um, compared to the original. So I'm not, a, a spoiler alert, if you haven't seen Fight Club, close your ears, you're about to hear something in reference to the endings, okay? So it's a famous film, a cult classic, if we're going to call it, and in the Chinese version, uh, so let's just jump ahead here. So if you watch the Chinese version, instead of the um, instead of a successful plot to destroy a series of buildings in the Chinese version, uh, Norton ends with a note. Uh, so Edward, oh, sorry, sorry, yeah, sorry, one second, sorry. The film ends with a note to viewers saying that the police rapidly figured out the whole plan and arrested all criminals successfully, preventing the bomb from exploding. Uh, as for Pitt's character, the note says he was sent to an asylum and later discharged. Um, yeah, and the, the censored ending uh, was discovered recently by fans in China on Tencent, blah, 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 blah. But what's mm. interesting is that the actual director of the film, the original director, he says, this is super wonderful. Everyone gets a happy ending in China. Chuck uh, Pala, Palaniuk, um, the writer who's now six novel inspired the film. Um, and then also he said, uh, he also said that the censored ending was closer to the ending of his book in which the bomb malfunctions and the narrator wakes up in a mental hospital after shooting himself. So, here we go. <laughs> um, right. do you, I, I think you want to explain the reason why uh, 
this was changed or why this sure, was it's it's very simple actually uh chinese uh media theory uh art theory although it's like all over the place at the moment especially since like reform and open up in the 80s still uh, but like the chinese uh media uh, uh management uh, uh, go governance body still believes in the old socialist theory of like it's not necessarily about uh if a uh, law and order of the chinese society or or the cpc or whatever gets uh, uh protected no, no no it's not about that it's about the triumph of human civilization and human society over like nonsense like absolute chaos and absolute depression and absolute nihilism and uh, that's like the kind of uh bottom line so to speak that like a uh, chinese media has like uh, uh chinese cpc the chinese government has for like all media so like it all makes perfect sense that they would try to uh they would change it that way and you know uh it's you know uh, it lines up with the original uh book ending because probably because uh, the book author also didn't believe fully in the completely nihilistic view of humanity and human society either so i mean at least back then during the what, when they wrote the books yeah, and yeah. Stuff. yeah yeah i think i think so, the other yeah. the other reason that i heard given for why the ending is different is that yeah you can't have criminals um exactly win. you can't show criminals win in china so the police yeah yeah like you can show like cities destroyed and stuff but like you cannot show a society rule of law and human the human will losing because that's fundamentally uh unsocialistic yeah okay interesting interesting but yeah i think i might i might go and watch it it's obviously i'm sure available now uh, for yeah. <laughs> yeah. now the different ending but um oh, yes. Jesus. Uh, oh you dropped your pen i'm glad you did because i didn't drop uh, it well it was my mic um, oh you dropped the mic drop the mic mic drop nice one yes uh yes. anyway that that is the end for us <laughs> that's all we have time yes. for so thank you so much for everyone who's been watching uh all right. if you have any comments please leave them in the comment section and yeah. if you haven't subscribed already please subscribe like and share, please share this so that we can get more viewers and we can get more comments and more yes. input from you all as well as um, see some more views and whatnot. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, thank you so much, Jen, and we'll speak to you next thank week. You. And that is it for this episode of the Marxist Think Tank. Catch us every other week here on SoundCloud. To allow us for our reporting and our content to remain independent, please consider donating to our Patreon and becoming a voting member in the link down below in the description. If you have a news tip or would like to talk to us, please email admin at marxistthinktank.org. Our editor is Sean Sanchez. News writer and producer is Reggie Truman. And I'm Oscar Bastille. Thank you for listening.